So this week we are off. We are on vacation, but we are not leaving you without an episode. So what we are doing is we are releasing the formerly paywalled extended interview that we did with Oliver Stone back in December. It's a great interview, and of course, Oliver Stone is back in the headlines because a movie that he produced, Ukraine on Fire, was censored and removed from YouTube. Uh, You can find the film Ukraine on Fire on Rumble. So enjoy this great extended interview with Oliver Stone, and we will see you next week. Well, thank you so much. We're so thrilled to have you on, and we've been wanting to have you on for so long, so we're so excited. Your film um, was amazing. Uh, lots of questions about it. I just wanted to ask you. And, and for those it, who don't know, this is JFK revisited through the looking glass and we're going to get into yeah. what's so interesting about it uh, in a moment. But yeah. yes. So yes, your film JFK revisited through the looking glass, um, which is a uh, showtime uh, was excellent and wanted to know you had already done um, the JFK feature film. Um, which was, of course, based a lot on history. What, without giving everything away to people who haven't seen it, what to you stands out as the major things that have been revealed since uh, the release of that film? I knew you would ask me something like that. You know, uh, it's hard to sum it all up because, you know, it's actually a four-hour film. We cut it to two hours for purposes of Showtime. But the four hours come. Ooh, are you going to release the four yeah, hours? I was say, yeah. No, uh, it will. It may play a few theaters in America, but you know, it's really a platform thing. And it's a very, it is, it is a lot to, 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 to it's a lot to digest. Uh, in short, I mean, just to answer briefly your question, it, it goes back after 91, the film was made. It was a dramatization. And it resulted in the Assassination Records Review Board being appointed by Congress, an act of legislation, the JFK Records Act, which is pretty, pretty significant yeah. from a film. Yeah. The board, uh, six, six or five, six academics, roughly, uh, existed for, they, they worked for four years from 94 to 98. And they had the power to declassify documents. They were supposed to declassify most everything, I guess, but didn't get there. They got about 60,000 documents and about, I gather 20,000 were still, are still not seen by them. And they, they have very, they had some very good technical experts working with them who dissected the details. And that's very important in this deal. So what we do is go back over the whole thing again and review the actual proof, the evidence against Oswald that he did it alone. And we come out showing that all the evidence, every all the evidence from day one, the bullets, the rifle, the fingerprints, everything is tainted. Nothing would be holed up in court. You'd be thrown out of court on the basis just of chain of custody. On top of that, there, there are witnesses that were not interviewed by the Warren Commission. Some were interviewed and their testimony was slightly changed. We found three secretaries. This is in, I, we didn't find the, a, a researcher found in the 1990s, three secretaries who'd seen the whole thing from the fourth floor. And they claimed that they left right away to go downstairs to see what was going on after the president, after the bullets hit. They saw no Oswald on those stairs, and it's physically impossible. Contradicts with Hoover told Johnson at the time. Yeah, well, Hoover didn't know. I mean, he was just, right. he, he said that Oswald was did it right away, but uh, Oswald could not have gotten from the sixth floor, put the rifle away, stashed all that stuff, gotten out of there with all those boxes, and run down those stairs and in far more than a minute. He would have taken longer, more than a minute or two. These girls were downstairs in about 30 seconds to a minute. So they see they saw no Oswald on the stairs and the people coming up the stairs didn't see him. So right there, you have to question, was Oswald on the sixth floor? 
And uh, I, I, I don't believe he was, but beside that, you know, the autopsy was a, was a rune, was a, was a farce. It was done by military guys who didn't want anything. They were put in charge and you're not supposed to have an autopsy run by the military, you see. So the real, the autopsists had no power to really do what they wanted, but they were incompetent anyway. There was a lot of great people who could have done it around. They were not asked. It was a strange autopsy with doctored photos. Now the photos we know are doctored because the photographer at the autopsy, the official one, Stringer, was interviewed by the, by the, by the board. And he was shown the pictures that were shown at the official pictures of Kennedy's skull. And he said, those are not taken by me. Those are not the shots I took. Wow. The film I took. So you have a doctored photo situation. And it shows a big deal, of course. I don't know, Katie, you're too young to remember. But when you see the Zapruder film, you see his head is he's shot from the front right here. And the back of his head blows out. It's pretty gruesome. And that's a shot from the front. And as, and they, they the Warren Commission was stuck from day one with this idea that he was hit from the rear by three bullets. And it's just physically impossible when you examine all the evidence of not only the Zapruder film, but everything that happened in the autopsy to prove that those three bullets were the ones that killed, uh, that did all this damage. Uh, he so, had to be shot from the other side, from the front as well as the rear. The rear, he could not have been, he could have been shot from another, another window on another building. It didn't have to be from the sixth floor. Sixth floor was a very difficult shot because there was a tree that was growing right there. All these things that, I mean, they're all details like a Sherlock Holmes would break into the case and he'd say this, 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 this. That all adds up. It's accumulation of details. And that bothers me because from day one, they never, they never investigated this thing further. In fact, they went out of their way to kill off the investigation. And then there's like the color of the brain, how long it had oh, been the brain. formaldehyde. I mean, that was the, that was so it's a fake brain. It's a fake brain that's there. Uh, it's nobody else's brain because it was an, it was a hospital where they did autopsies. No, that was somebody else's brain for sure. Because the, the nurses, the people at Parkland, everybody saw the cerebellum dripping from his skull. Been shot there, it was dripping on the floor of the Parkland hospital. And by the time, you know, they got to the, it's a strange story, but frankly, the brain, they weighed this official, this official brain and the brain weighs as much as a normal person, which is impossible given the circumstances of the dripping brain. Right. So the chunk that we saw, right? I mean, the chunk that you see um, that Jackie O grabs. Yeah, she's going to, she's trying to retrieve the skull pieces and the, she's trying to do something to help them. Yeah. She really was shocked and she reached out on the back of the hood and that wonderful Secret Service agent, the only one who reacted, by the way, the only one, Clint Hill, ran up on the car and jumped on the car. That, that was their job. Right. The mm -hmm. Secret Service protection that day was just awful, awful. There was supposed to be motorcycles on both sides of the car. There was, seems to have been a lapse and the car slows down when, it gets, when he gets that first shot. The, the, the car almost stops. Why isn't the driver, he's, he's a professional driver, he's trained, you drive, you drive, when you get shots like that, you speed up. Uh, there's dozens of these details, I don't wanna go on and on, but it really is depressing that this country, in the matter of the shooting of a president, has gotten the worst, the worst kind of investigation, the clumsiest, as if no one wanted to know the truth which is what we, we also examine the Warren Commission and the details of how they came up to be. And we find out, of course, that basically running the show of the, of the Warren Commission is Alan Dulles, 
who was fired as the chief of the CIA by Kennedy as a result of the Bay of Pigs in 61. Dulles was no friend of Kennedy and he was around the whole scene for all the, after he was fired, he was around the whole scene for a while. He even went to Dallas uh, uh, to sell his book uh, right before the assassination. Uh, so it looks, it point, we point a lot of the finger at, at Dulles as a manager anyway of the thing. And because of CIA's records, CIA conceals everything. They, they didn't cooperate really with the ARB. They stonewalled them on every account. And this is a shame. So did the Secret Service, but uh, files just didn't show up. They weren't, uh, no interest in helping them to solve this case. The CIA has always acted like a suspicious defendant from the beginning. Uh, and that's why, of course, I pointed a lot of my, I pointed fingers at it in 1991. Uh, it seems to be that it was organized at a high level. And they used the mob. Yes, they used Jack Ruby, who was a, a you know, a, a thug who killed the, the main witness. Because if Oswald had talked, there would have been tremendous uh, problems, confusions, re revelations. Uh, and uh, the mob was around the Cuban exile community who were anxious to get rid of Castro. And they hated Kennedy. And many of them hated Kennedy because he failed to get Castro, both at the Bay of Pigs and then a year later at the October Missile Crisis which is a huge deal, by the way. It's much underrated what happened in 62. So the events of 62, I believe, led directly to 63. And he was, he was, he was marked. He was marked from that going on. Why? Because of Cuba, but also because of Vietnam. He was pulling out, and new records show that. And three, the Soviet Union. That was a big one. That was a big snowball because he was looking for detente. He had a relationship with Khrushchev after after the missile crisis. And they, what did they do? They formed, they signed the nuclear test ban treaty, which is an amazing event. It's the first time since World War II that the United States and Russia have been able to make an agreement. It's really amazing piece of history. Kennedy was a major achievement, he, he said, of his administration. He got it signed in September of 63, two months before he was killed. And in this country, you don't, you don't go for peace. When you go for peace, you make enemies. Uh, the people, a lot of people in government get fed by this machine, this military industrial complex. CIA did not want peace with Russia. They wanted to get a bigger and bigger budget. Kennedy was wanting to cut the budget. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So you have all these issues. Uh, and I think what matters today well, I, I'm going to let you lead the question. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious because obviously when, when JFK came out, which I thought was a fantastically entertaining, interesting movie at the time, it was it was one of the last movies that I think gripped the attention of the whole country in, um, you know, in a way other than as a piece of entertainment, right? It was it was a cultural sort of lodestar, right? And, uh, but you took a significant amount of flack uh, for that movie at the time, there was a lot of criticism, you know, about, you know, some fact check details and that sort of thing. You must have had a lot of time between then and now uh, to think about 
what you might have done differently. And I was really struck by the difference in approach between that film and this one, which seems so much, it seems very much like uh, you went through methodically all the evidence for the official story this time around and focused a lot more on that than on the dramatic story of the conspirators. Could I, could I ask about your thought process and, and what, what you were setting out to do? Well, yeah, sure. It's simple. I mean, it's I was a movie maker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to make movies. They have to make money You know, to continue in this business. I wanted to make an exciting movie about a very serious subject, a grim subject. Most people wouldn't go to that movie if unless it was they were told it was it was something exciting about it. So I didn't lie or I didn't change. I, I didn't fictionalize anything. I dramatized. I condensed with witnesses. I, of course, had to shape the story to give it. But the, the biggest revelations in the movie, in that movie, were the same that emerged still to this day about the military industrial complex and the Vietnam War and the Russia detente. Uh, he was moving in that direction. All, everything that's come out since then points in that direction. More files, more. We declassified May 63, the, where he tells uh, McNamara, his secretary of defense, tells the army chiefs, we want to get these first thousand troops out by 63 and we're going to do the rest by 65. Kennedy and McNamara said very clearly, we are coming out of Vietnam, win or lose. It is their war. Kennedy was not going to go into Cuba. That was very clear. And he, he probably got killed because of it. If he couldn't go into Cuba, he said, why am I going to go into Vietnam, which is 6,000 miles away? Cuba is 90 miles away. It makes no fucking sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is why you start off the movie with this, this uh, address by uh, Kennedy talking about not just peace in our time, but peace in all times. Yeah uh you know, sort of Im implying that that's the motive for for getting rid of him is that he had it unacceptable right. matt you follow the scene i mean when do you ever hear a president anymore talk about peace just pure peace i mean they don't they don't have that conversation right it's about what we have to do about this threat or that threat and we have to be tough on the russians we have to be tough on the chinese we live in this perpetual state of aggression and tension that keeps the fluid going i guess you know, in the in the movie, Donald Sutherland says to, to Kevin Costner, he says, the, the organizing principle of, of society is war, the preparation mm -hmm. for war. That's what I'm not quoting directly, but preparation for war is more important than war. And that's what we've been doing. We've been preparing for wars over and over again and redundant machinery, costs, budgets. It doesn't end. Not since Kennedy. And this is a major point not since President Kennedy in 63, has one American president, think about it, been able to, to limit and control the military and its budget and the intelligence agencies. You can't go there. Even when Trump, who we agree uh, is a little bit crazy, but when he made threats on the intelligence agencies, right? He was warned, wasn't he? Wasn't it Shermer who said, you, you can't. They, they yeah, get, Schumer said that uh, six ways to Sunday. Yeah, six to get ways back to Sunday, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a terrible situation. Really you, younger people like you are really fucked because he was killed. If he had succeeded, like a Roosevelt succeeded in yeah. controlling his government. And Kennedy said clearly to De Gaulle and many other people, he said, I'm not sure I'm in charge of this government. Yeah. That was a scary he part. He knew that this guy was operating off the shelf. The military hated him, hated him. And that's a very important thing to study. If you don't know your history about this America, you're going to be very confused about the present day because we're the result of that. I mean, if Kennedy had succeeded, we'd be in a whole different world. 
It was, it's funny because this is obviously a documentary and there's a lot of um, forensic analysis and discussions of shots, but it also was very, I actually found myself crying at the end when you have, uh, you go through kind of the impact that this had on people in other countries and how Nasser fell into a deep depression about this, how Castro mid interview says, this is bad news. Everything's going to change now. And it really was really moving. And then also hearing Bobby Kennedy uh, Jr. talk about how his dad called the CIA or someone else described that, but then Bobby Kennedy Jr. describes how he heard about Jack Ruby killing father Oswald. His father, Sorry? his father called the CIA right yes, away. Yes, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, this, are you, yeah. Are you guys behind this? Yeah. Right, right. And um, right, his father, yes. And then also learning that Jack Ruby had killed um, Oswald and he he says, did they love, is that because they loved uh, my uncle? Did they love JFK? Uh, did Jack Ruby love K JFK? And it was just really moving in a way that I didn't expect going into it. I knew it would be infuriating, but I didn't know it would be that moving. And he was so, you really got a sense of how vulnerable he was. Yeah, that's what we're trying to show. And I think the four hour has more of that because you have to, it's what's surprising. A lot of people don't know this. You have to understand that Kennedy was Irish. And it's important to remember that because he's not English. I mean, Irish background. They were independent rebels. They were the first independent nation in the 20th century, I believe. They fought for it. So he wasn't going to kowtow. He really hated colonialism. Like Roosevelt hated it. Roosevelt also hated it. And I, I compare them because I think Kennedy was trying to do the same thing, bring the country back from the military uh, posture that it had inherited from World War II, which was this huge budget and this position of national security state. The word national security starts to creep into the vocabulary around 47, 1947. Kennedy went to Vietnam in the 50s. He saw that the French were losing. He was, very, he was briefed on the situation and he talked about it in the Senate. He got into trouble with it. In 1957, he made a Senate speech which rocked the boat. He made the cover of Time magazine for the first time because he said Algeria has to be free from France. That was shocking at the time. You don't do that. I mean, Dulles, Alan Dulles, and his brother John Foster, they were imperialists, colonialists. They, they didn't, they, the whole independence movement post war took them by surprise, and we never got on the right side of the history of that one. Never did. Kennedy went to Indonesia. He made it, Sukarno was his friend. So when Lyndon, and of course, Africa, I mean, we'll talk about Africa, you know, uh, he was investigated. Lumumba. oh my gosh. He was shocked by Lumumba's murder. Him and Dag Hammarskjöld, the UN uh, president, they went there and they, they really tried to bring the Congo into a transition of peace. And it was impossible. It was impossible. Hammarskjöld was killed. Many people think the CIA were involved in that killing. And... Kennedy really struggled to get, in all these third world countries, he's there, his presence is there. The moment Johnson comes in, Lyndon Johnson, it all reverses, it's a U-turn in foreign policy. And we, uh, we talked to people like Daniel Ellsberg about that, like uh, what, what changed when, when, when Johnson came in. Could you talk a little bit about, the, the movie starts off and one of its first big sections is about the, chain of custody with the so-called magic bullet, which is a crazy story to begin with because it, it's supposed to have taken this almost supernaturally unlikely path through a human body and exits looking like it came out of a case, right? It's like the most pristine thing you've ever seen, which 
Um, I'm no expert, but that, that doesn't look like what, much, what, less, much less the path of the bullet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Go but, the original movie. but here we're going into a documentary form. So we're interviewing autopsy experts, you know, and bullet experts and firearm experts. That's what we're just to show you how stupid this is. But mm -hmm. above, above all, there's no chain of custody because the bullet, the so-called magic bullet has to be marked to make it, you, you put your initials on it. And we show quite clearly that it, 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 there was no chain of custody on the bullet. So it's obviously another bullet that gets thrown into the mess. So we don't even know where it was introduced really. Right. Yes, it was introduced at Parkland. Uh, somebody picked it up. The janitor, I think, found it in, the, in one of the, uh, the, the stretchers in the- Right, on the stretcher, yeah. You and I have something in common. You probably don't know, but we both uh, had Bill Margo after us on uh, over the Russia issue. You had a really a lot of really interesting things to say. Uh, you know, Bill had said something to the effect of, "Do you think that they're making it up?" And you said, "It's intelligence agencies are not reliable," which seems to me like it should be an axiomatic sort of baseline <laughs> understanding yeah. of anybody who works in the media. But it's been incredibly difficult to get people. Uh, in the business to uh, have that attitude. Um, was that a frustrating experience too, the, the, you know, the, the, the reception to the Putin interviews? Of course, of course, it's very, I've been on the outs for a long time now. So it's no fun, you know, people in the, when I, when I travel though, there's so many people that agree and get excited about it. Like in Europe, especially, they know better. You know, uh, when you talk about intelligence agencies, it's funny because Charles de Gaulle, the president of France, who was one of the great heroes of the 20th century, in my opinion, he uh, ran into this problem. You know, there was five or six assassination attempts against him made by, and his secret service was involved. <laughs> so one of the things he did was he, he told Kennedy, he said, you make sure you, you have to be very careful about your security. Wow. And Robert Kennedy, at the, when it's sad, but in 63 was really making moves to take over the Secret Service and put it under the uh, Attorney General uh, control, which he was, he was very general. He wanted to be more involved in protecting Kennedy because they did a sloppy job, very sloppy. In Chicago, there was an attempt. Yeah. In Tampa, there was an attempt. Uh, and their follow-up procedures in Chicago are disgusting. They, they just, they let the, they, they arrested two or four Cubans who had weapons. And, yeah, I was, I was, that was so funny watching you talk to Bill Maher and you were kind of like, you usually like, come on, like, you're not this dumb. I mean, you didn't say it that bluntly, but you were kind of like, are you kidding? You used to see through this stuff. Come on. Yeah. You were like trying to give him a. This has whole been, you know. has been a huge change in the media since 2001. Uh, I blame Bush. I mean, somehow we went to sleep. We went to sleep and we, we've, we've had amnesia. I mean, the fact that the press doesn't question these intelligence agencies we grew up, I don't know, in the 60s, I mean, the FBI, there was so much shit on the FBI. Hoover was a bad guy, you know, Coinal Pro, all the things he did, Martin Luther King. I mean, and then of course on our TV, we were watching The Untouchables and all how great, how great the FBI, the FBI story. That's what I grew up with, but CIA, they never touched, they never touched. And then they showed these, these TV series, you know, Homeland is what he said. John Ryan and yeah, I mean, or they, Jack Ryan. They're, they're really foul, they're foul and, what happens is that the uh, after my movie came out, actually, the CIA reopened its office or opened it, I think, for the first time, an office in L.A. And they did a hell of a job cleaning up. They, they realized that they had let the ball slip. So they came after. So everything that you see about the CIA now is pretty much sanitized. And mm -hmm. they're the good guys, right? Mm -hmm. On the military side, they've always been there. The military doesn't give you a dime 
any equipment right. unless, of course, they read the script and they sanitize it. So uh, you, between the two, uh, CIA and the Defense Department, you're, you, you can't get movies. In fact, it's very hard to get any military type movies made after 2001, uh, questioning the, our foreign policy, questioning our military. It's, uh, it's, we're living in a, uh, in a censored state by easily, uh, easily censored state. And the, the media plays a huge role in this. They were asleep on the Kennedy killing. They were, they were complicit in a way. Who else but the media? New York Times comes out on day one when the Warren Commission report is released and says it's valid and Oswald is a lone assassin. Day one, without even reading all the documentation. Right, right. And you know, we again we had Daniel Ellsberg on, and he 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 talked about how on the day of the of the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the all the biggest newspapers sort of unquestioningly uh, wrote up the sequence of events as told to them by a handful of Pentagon officials who were really essentially inventing a narrative on the fly, and that ended up being the whole justification for going going into conflict. Um, and it was wrong, as as we later learned. But yeah, the media is, has been tremendously complicit. Do you, do you have a lot of resentment about that? I mean, it, it feels I, like I the press win. took a turn on, on you a little bit after JFK. Sure they did. Uh, no, I mean, listen, I'm not a conspiracy nut. I don't follow all the stuff that's going on. I, the news is so, so foul, I, I turn it off. So I can't watch American news, but put it this way, I'm trying to remember. Uh, when Johnson, you know, I went to Vietnam. I, I, I didn't know anything. I was a soldier there, so I did the best I could, but it took me a long time to wake up. It took me a long time. By the 1980s, I was waking up when I was about 40 years old. I started to make the movies I wanted to make. Salvador was my first movie. Mm, but, you know, wasn't it, who was the official who said, shit, they were shooting at, at they were shooting at flying fish about the Gulf of Tonkin. Was that Johnson? Somebody said, yeah. yeah. Quote. You know, but Vietnam is a much deeper story because it starts in the 50s. Ellsberg will tell you. Right. It, you follow the curve of it. That's why Kennedy, among other reasons, was, was killed because he didn't want to go into Vietnam to, for combat. He sent advisors only. So mm. people who say he started Vietnam is, is such a lie. He really saw the problem coming. And he was, he, he was elected, no doubt, as a Cold War president. He had to be. He couldn't get elected in 1960 except as that. And he had to out he had to out muscle Nixon. He had to promise more. So he did that. And of course, it came back to haunt him because the Cubans started to believe that, oh yeah, he's going to liberate Cuba and we're going to go in there. So if I repeat my what I said earlier. If he's not going to go into Cuba to liberate Cuba, why is he going to go into Vietnam? I spent almost 10 years covering the uh, wake of the financial crisis. And over and over again, I ran into people uh, who had been involved in say the sale of mortgage-backed securities uh, and who talked about Wall Street, the movie, and, and mentioned that they either themselves or had bosses uh, who thought that Gordon Gekko was the hero of that movie <laughs> and, uh, and that he was a model of what an American was supposed to be uh, and that the, the speech that he gave at Teldar paper was given in earnest and, and, and should be understood as a true mantra of Wall Street. Have you have you ever gotten that feedback? I mean, because it, it, it had a, had a massive impact on on uh, on the ethos of Wall Street. Wasn't it John Lou Goddard who said uh, any successful film is a result of a misunderstanding between the director and the audience? <laughs> 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 
yeah. You could say the same thing about Platoon, you know. Certainly Platoon is was misunderstood by a lot of people as a pro, as, as gung-ho movie. Uh, they couldn't mistake Born on the Fourth of July, though, for that. Uh, so, no, the Wall Street movie, Gecko was the villain, and Charlie Sheen was the uh, the young man who gets redeemed by by his own. He realizes how evil this shit is going on. Gecko was not to be, but kids in without ethics want to be Gordon Gecko because they can make money, and I guess money yeah. is the goal, and money justifies everything. The interesting thing is, I made another, a follow up in 2000, 2010 called Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. That was a follow up. That was about that crisis that you wrote about, the 2008 crisis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I talked to all the brokers about that. So, what, ha- what had occurred to me when I was making the film was that the Gordon Gecko of 1987 had now turned into the banks of 2008 because the banks mm-hmm. were doing the same thing Gecko was doing in the first movie. The vampire squid, as you would call it. Right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah that was me. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we'll go into the Bartlett's for that, I guess. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I got to ask a very important question, which is um, in Naked Gun, when they have that montage, that love scene montage uh, going out on a date and then winding up, I think that's they wind up in full body condoms. Um, but they're, of course, leave the movie theater laughing arm in arm and then it pans back and it's platoon that's playing at the movie theater did they have to ask you about that for your permission i don't think so no okay but, uh, i th- i love their film zucker brothers they were yeah. great they fresh yeah. air uh, yeah but they've done that dave did that too uh ivan reitman did a film where i'm the only guy i'm the guy who sounds like a nut but i'm the only guy who's right in the end of the movie about oh really dave, I don't... the substitutes uh yeah for the president you say that you're, you're sort of on the outs. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, why is that? What happened? And and what what, what do you have? What expectations well, do you have going happened, forward? One thing you they, they they label you. You know, you always get labeled, so that, that kills off the creative impulse. I've done all kinds of movies, all kinds. I've gone to football. I've gone to Wall Street. I've, Great movie, by the way. Love yeah, that movie. You know, other kinds of movies, but it's obviously always comes back to I'm a political filmmaker. I'm a conspiracy theorist. Boring and. Uh, that uh, they kind of label you and they put you off as a margin. So my films, uh, Snowden was a tough experience for me. Oh, great. Film, but it just uh, was not appreciated to the, in America anyway. Did much better in Europe, but in America we did okay, but nothing. You see, Snowden is a, a pivotal character, as is Assange, and I wanted to give them credit for what they did. They really open up the system. They give us the truth. They don't give us the bullshit. And that's what we live in, a world of bullshit. We're drowning in it. Uh, there's so much media now that, you know, they parse everything and it gets confusing for people to follow who's who and what's what. How, uh, how is your marginalization um, compared post uh, JFK versus post uh, Russiagate? Oh, that didn't help me. Boy, I really, I can't stand what they did about Russiagate. I think you guys understand why it was just lies to believe that Russia would do this thing. I mean, it was so, I spent a lot of time in Russia. I talked to them, I admire them. I know what they, they're in a very defensive position and that's what we never understand. We creep up on their borders. We put javelin missiles into Ukraine. We do everything to provoke a response. And when they don't respond, I say, well, thank God, because they are frankly the most patient fucking leaders. And the leader is very bright, he's wise because 
don't don't make avoid these conflicts if you can. Now, I keep worrying, of course, if we keep poking the bear, you know, that's scary. And Ukraine scares me the most because of its Ukraine is so rabid. The leaders in Ukraine are so nuts and they need to get reelected. So they'll they'll do just about anything, lie, steal, cheat and say that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. What a joke. Russia could, if it invaded Ukraine, it could take what it wanted in, in a day or two. I mean, it's not an issue for them. The Western, the Eastern Ukraine is what matters to them because that was a Russian speaking people, Russian type people who are going to be killed. And that's what was the issue was when they went in, when the Ukrainian army went into Donbass and that, they were killing people left and right. And there's plenty of footage on that and plenty of testimony. Whereas in Crimea, when they went in, they, they, they didn't go in because the citizenry was so against them that even the Ukrainian, the Ukrainian troops in Crimea never fought. They, they just folded into their barracks. It's in our movie. We did a film called Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, in, Ukraine in Flames, and which you can see. But it's really sad that we've misinterpreted everything. And that's our media. Everything has been a, a lie about Ukraine. So it's a dangerous situation. Same with China, you know, that Taiwan is pretty scary. Right. So I, I like Biden. I think he's a very, he, I thought he was a good old man. He's not gonna be, he's not gonna get on fire. He's been around at least, you know, it'll be tamped down the, the, the flames from Trump. I was hoping for that. And I still hope for it, but it scares me when I hear about American aggression in these countries. Mr. Stone, back, th thank you so on. much. This was so great. Yeah. Very much. Thank you for doing what yeah. you do, and thank thank you for creating like iconic characters like Gordon Gecko and Stephen Willie Beeman over the years. You've been, you know, I, I, sort of a unique figure in American films, and uh, it's really an honor to talk to you. So that, thank you, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you, Katie. Oh yes, of course. Thanks so much. Bye. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.